0: In Matthew 28. And it's still Passover week. It's the very end of Passover week. And unbeknownst here in verse 1 of Matthew 28, unbeknownst to anybody, it's also resurrection day. Except nobody knows yet here in verse 1. Nobody knows yet. And, you know, you have the men who are scaredy cats. All the disciples of Jesus Christ, of the men, they're scaredy cats. You know, they go out into hiding. Because remember, the Jewish leaders, the the religious leaders, you know what they did to Jesus Christ? How they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Even Peter who denied the Lord. They all denied the Lord, but Peter who denied the Lord. You know, all the people were like, hey, I saw you. You were with that guy. You were with him. And Peter was like, no, I wasn't. And then he even said... You know, in uh, in uh, Matthew 26, when in, in Matthew 26, verse 69, you know, it says a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. And then in verse 71, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth, verse 72. But again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. And then the next verse in 73, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. It's kind of interesting because, you know, it's like, I wonder what his speech was. Maybe he was still speaking Christianese, so to speak. And they say, your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear. It's like, okay, my speech is betraying me. Okay, I'm going to use the speech of the old guy. He began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. He denied the Lord. And then you look, you know, where's, you know, you see the account of Peter. But where's, where are the other disciples? When Jesus Christ was alone on the cross. Where are they? Remember, we, we studied that last week in the prophecy. And he says, I looked for comfort, but there was no one. The prophecy from Psalm. And it's so wild because here you have, you know, he, he's, the, he's been entombed. And you think for the movement, so to speak, quote unquote movement. Like, okay, you know, here our patriarch is, you know, patriarch is a bad word in today's culture. Nobody likes to think of anything in the terms of a patriarchy. You know, but Jesus Christ is male, you know. And it's such a trip because here you have the leader of this movement. And I don't mean any disrespect to the Lord by calling the birth of his church or the church as, as a movement. But supposedly he's dead. Now what? What happens? What happens? And so the men were scared, the disciples, the men were scared. And, you know, you read passages in Luke, specifically Luke chapter 23, and the women, these beautiful, beautiful, brave women, they prepared spices and they prepared aromatics, you know, a day before, um, a day before the Sabbath, because the Sabbath was a day of rest, no work. But look what happens here in verse 1 of chapter 28 says now after the sabbath as the first day of the week began to dawn so it's very very early in the morning after the sabbath and i love that so much because it's like these beautiful women they can't even wait it's like okay the sabbath is over now let's go see our lord let's go back to the tomb And it is written here, still in verse one, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And, you know, there's other women, too. You read passages in Luke and John and that there's other women there, too. It's not just Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. It's like a group of women. And I love this so much. Because you have these brave, tough, beautiful women. And, you know, when I say beautiful women, I don't mean to sound disrespectful, especially to my bride. You know, 20 years ago, if you were to say, hey, Jay, who are the five most beautiful women? You know, you'd say, okay, he's a carnal guy. But if you were to say today, hey, Jay, who are the five most beautiful women? And I showed you these are the five most beautiful women I have ever possibly even known. You, every single one of you guys would think I'm blind. And then, man, you know, he is blind. What's wrong with his eyes? He is blind. But that's what's so cool about growing in the Lord, and reading the Bible because, you know, something happens to your nature. Something happens inside where it's like, wait a second. You know, the Lord starts to teach you what what beautiful is in his eyes. And it blows me away because it's like you see these like, you know, there's a guy who, you know, he goes and teaches sometimes and he goes and inspires people. He's a Christian. He has no arms and no legs, no arms, no legs. And it's like you hear this this guy talk and he says, you know, when he was a kid, he just wanted to kill himself. He didn't want to live anymore. What's his purpose in life? And like you hear his words, you know, and it's just 20 years ago, I would have said, who is this guy? You know, who's going to listen to this guy? He's got no arms, no legs. But today, he's one of the most beautiful men I've ever heard speak before. Because he speaks about the Lord, you know. I could say some other things but i'll table that for another day but it's such a trip you know that's why i say these beautiful women where are the men where are the men they're scared scared for their lives oh man you know what if i say i'm a christian if i say that i believe and walk with jesus christ They're going to hang me on the cross too. They're going to do to me like they did to Jesus Christ. No way. Let's get out of Dodge. Let's go hide in this house over here and lock the doors, close the windows, draw the curtains. Be quiet. We don't want anybody to hear us. Now what are we going to do? The leader of our movement is, is gone. He's dead. And you have these beautiful women. The day before the Sabbath, they're preparing their aromatics. They're preparing the spices and then all of a sudden, you know, it's after the Sabbath and it's like, boom, they're at the door early in the morning. The end of verse one says uh, they came to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. You know, I think it's so powerful to note. If you remember in the previous chapter in verse 66, remember the door was secured, it was sealed, and it was guarded. It was under guard. And then all of a sudden the angel of the Lord comes, you know, and the stone just rolls it back, and he came and sat on top. And it's such a trip because look what happens here in verse 3. His countenance was like lightning translates as shining brightly. His countenance was like lightning. And his clothing or his robe as white as snow. Does this sound familiar? It says his countenance was like lightning or shining brightly. And his robe or clothing as white as snow. Why do I say does this sound familiar? Because those at the resurrection Will be like the angels. That's what the Lord teaches us in Matthew twenty-two, verse thirty. A little refresher course, Unless this sediment in your in your in your vessels has you know settled a little bit to the bottom. I'm gonna stir it a little bit because Matthew twenty-two, verse thirty. Jesus Christ says, "Hey, you know, at the resurrection, you're gonna be like the angels." Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. You know, our brother John, he sees a, 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 a revelation from the Lord. He has a vision from the Lord. He says, In heaven, a great multitude of every nation, tribe, people, tongue, clothed in white robes. Wow, that's the glorified body. Turn with me really quick to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Verse 13. This is, you know, our brother John. He's having his vision of the Lord. And he sees these things in the heavenly realm. And there's elders there around. And he says in verse 13, or he records in verse 13, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. You know, it's a time, this, this word great tribulation. It's a time of great trouble, great persecution, great anguish, and great affliction. And it's like, man, you know, it's going to get worse and worse. This world that we live in, it's going to get worse. And this elder is saying to John in the vision, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. This is connotation of believers in Jesus Christ. You speak to carnal people about washing robes in the blood, making them white. And, you know, carnal people don't understand these things. Carnal people do not understand. They cannot. It's like, wait a second. You need to believe in Jesus Christ. You share the good news, and then all of a sudden they say, you know what? I believe. I believe. You know what? And that's what's so cool about prophetic events. Prophetic events. It's like all these things when the events of Revelation start to happen, the plagues. Then they'll start to realize, wow, you know, maybe these Christians that I used to make fun of, maybe these Christians that I used to tease, maybe they're onto something. Maybe they were right. And when I say they cannot believe, I don't want to sound like a Calvinist. It's pride, pride of life that restricts belief in Jesus Christ. But to humble, to be humble before the Lord. Say, you know what? I don't have all the answers. Lord, I believe. And what's so powerful, he says, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and wash their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. We talked about that a little bit on Wednesday. How... This dwell among them. It's to encamp among them or to tabernacle, to tabernacle. Remember, in Exodus 25, the Lord is giving Moses blueprints for the tabernacle on earth. Remember Jesus Christ on earth as it is in heaven. It's like a a shadow of the things to come. You say, okay, the tabernacle is a shadow of the things to come. You're talking about the tabernacle in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. You could say that. But what about the heavenly Zion as a shadow of the things to come? We're going to read that more on Wednesday about building the tabernacle, the instructions, the blueprints that God gives to Moses. He says here in verse 16 he says they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore the sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes that's that's what we keep our eyes on when i say keep your eyes on the prize when paul says i press forward Even Jesus Christ, when he, you know, he he considered the joy of what was beyond the cross, the events of the cross, it was joy to him. And that's how he was able to endure those hardships. What a model for us as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, the things that we endure for the future joy. And it's so beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. This is... Christians in their glorified bodies who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And so going back to our study in Matthew 28. This angel of the Lord in verse 3 says his countenance was like lightning or shining brightly and his clothing or his robe as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They passed out. Passed out. Tough guys. You know, Roman soldiers. The tough guys. And here they are, passed out. You say, why do you say tough guys? Because they might have been big, burly guys. But you know what? You take off your carnal lenses and you put on your spiritual lenses. And what do you see? You see, these aren't tough guys at all. You're gonna, we're going to about to look at these beautiful women. These are some tough cookies. Tough, tough women and brave. Because, you know, here you have these Roman soldiers passed out. They became like dead men. And where do you have the disciples? The men hiding there, you know, in, you know, they have the door closed. Everything's locked up, boarded up. The windows are shut, you know, curtains down and they're hiding. Scaredy cats. But what do you have here? In verse 5. But the angel answered and said to the women. To the the real tough ones. Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. In verse 6. He is not here. For he is risen as he said. This is like the first revealing of like. You know, where's our Lord? This is the first revealing that it's resurrection day. He is not here for it. He is risen, as he said. And you know what's so powerful? It's not captured here in Matthew, but Luke captures it in Luke 24, verse 6, how the angel says to the women, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. You know, the human mind... The brain can remember all kinds of things. All kinds of things. As you get older, you know, it can't remember so much. But, you know, the human mind can remember a lot of things. And that's what's so beautiful about a steady diet of the Word of God. Because sometimes, you know, the Spirit will prick at your heart. The Holy Spirit will prod at your mind. And you'll remember. Oh, yeah. I remember when the Word says this. I remember when the word says this, you might be going across some difficulties in life. And then the Holy Spirit will prod at your mind, will prod at your heart. And it's like, oh, you remember what you read here in Ezekiel? You remember what you read here in Isaiah? Do you remember what Jesus Christ said here? Such is the case with these women, how the angel of the Lord says, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. And then a couple verses later, in Luke 24, verse 8, it says, And they remembered his words. They remembered his words. You know, I have to say something about angels of God. Angels of God encourage, they provide godly warnings, and they glorify the Lord. They glorify God. Angels of Satan, they oppress They instill freedom for wickedness and they do not, nor will they ever glorify the Lord. So you have, you know, this, the women, they're here and they go to the tomb and, you know, an angel of Satan will say, oh, you know what? The movement's over. Everything he said, there was no point to it. Why don't you go ahead and, you know, drink your booze? Why don't you go ahead and go back to the crack pipe? Why don't you go ahead and return to your sexual adventures? That's how he whispers in the ears of people today. When things don't go according to how you thought they were going to go. But the angel of the Lord comes and he encourages, he provides warnings and he glorifies the Lord. It's part and parcel of spiritual warfare to test the spirits whether to know if they are from the Lord or not. That's what the word teaches us. Because remember, Satan presents himself as an angel of light. As an angel of light. You know, a lot of people say, oh yeah, you know, the the, the Lord told me this. An angel of the Lord told me this. Or I just feel it in my heart. It's okay, you can feel whatever you want in your heart, but if it doesn't align with his word, it's not the Lord. You're listening to the wrong voice, brother you're listening to the wrong voice, sister. What does the word say? And that's what's so cool about this angel of the Lord. He's a messenger, obedient to the lordship of Jesus Christ, crying out. He says, He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. You know, come check it out. It's empty. It's empty. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. You know, so you have the men now. The men, they're scaredy cats and they go out in their, in their, you know, special housing. They close the doors. They board it up. And it's so powerful to know that they were scaredy cats. They were scaredy cats. They weren't always. They didn't, you know, it, the next day. Two days later, a week later, 20 days later, they didn't stay scaredy cats. These beautiful, beautiful, tough women, they were like jumper cables to the men. Jumper cables to the men. I have to be careful, especially because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I have some raw emotion about certain things, these events. But I'm going to say a comment about women in the church. Something that I've... um, I don't like. Something that I don't like. You know, a lot of people place very, very special and hardcore um, adherence two wives you must submit to your husbands. And I know that's in the Bible. I know that is scripture. But I say it is also written you shall you shall have no other god before God before the Lord. That's what I say. Yeah. Because a lot of times I've spoken to husbands before. It's like, okay, how are things going? Say, oh, yeah, good. You know, my wife is doing this. Oh, cool. How's your wife? Oh, she's such a blessing to me. She's such a good helper. She does all these things. She cooks. She cleans. She takes care of the kids. And it's like, no, I meant, you know, like, you know, how does she help you with the Lord? It's like, well, you know, she cooks. She cleans. She takes care of the kids. You know, Liz and I, my wife and I, we have some friends who are in the wealthy class. Who have servants. They have maids, butlers, they have nannies, live in. And it's such a trip because it's like these people are sometimes, they're given higher regard and, you know, a a higher um, treatment than the wife than what we've been exposed to, than what we've seen in the church. You know, you talk to husbands. Oh, yeah, my wife is a good helper. She's, you know, she's a good cook. She cleans. She takes care of the kids. It's like all those things that you mentioned are replaceable. Replaceable. You can hire a cook. You can get a cook. You can hire a maid. You can hire a nanny. They are all replaceable. It's like slaves. I mean, one time we were invited out to dinner, my wife and I. We were invited out to dinner. Yeah, come over to our place. You know, we're going to have dinner. It's like, okay. So we go there. And you see the wife. She's like a slave. Oh, can I take your jacket? You know, it's like some people might look at it and be like, oh, she's trying to be hospitable according to the Lord. But she's like a slave. You know, here, take your jacket. Oh, can I get you something to drink? It's like, you know, she's in and out really fast. You know, I'm talking to the husband, you know, and then the husband says, you know, why did you interrupt me? Like all mad and the lady like bows her head like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And it's I get so grossed out about that. It makes me angry. Because the Bible teaches us husbands love your wives like Christ loved the church. When do you ever see. Jesus Christ saying, husbands, you will submit to me. Or men, you will submit to me. When do you ever see that in the Bible? You will not find it. You might find it in certain study Bibles, but, you know, I don't call them study Bibles. Written by men. Annotated by men. You might find it according to certain doctrines. But I don't adhere to doctrines that are outside of Holy Scripture. And you see these women who are like slaves in their own home. She's a good cook. She can clean well. She's a glorified nanny. All those things are replaceable. I don't mean to be graphic, but sometimes it's sex on demand. You know, husbands who say, oh, you know, I have a problem with pornography. And they go and seek the counsel of these stupid pastors, stupid elders, carnal pastors, carnal elders. And this is the counsel that these idiots give. These wolves, what they give. They say, okay, wife, since your husband has these problems. And a pastor who will say husbands have problems with pornography because the wife has let herself go. The husband's the victim. The wife is at fault. That's why these dumb pastors, I don't know how they get away with this. Well, I'll tell you how they get away with it. People don't know their Bibles. Biblical illiteracy. Elders who are yes men. Co-pastors who are yes men. People in the pews. Who don't read their Bibles and instead of saying, hey, pastor, you know what? I don't agree with what you said here because this is what the Bible says. Can you explain why you said that? But no, the pastors say, hey, wise, your husband has a problem with pornography because, you know, look at yourself. You let yourself go. You need to go to the gym. You need to work out. You need to cake on this makeup and look like these dummies on TV. And wives, do it. Listen, I have talked to these women before. I was like, "Hey, yeah, I got to go to the gym. I got to get up early in the morning, you know, so when my husband wakes up, I can look like this. And a husband who, like, on demand, he'll say his, to his wife, hey, you know, I'm being tempted right now. And so, you know, I don't mean to sound crass in saying this, but, you know, hey, I'm being tempted right now, so you got to give it up. Or else I'm going to do pornography. Or else I'm going to cheat on you. And wives are like sexual slaves. Sex on demand. I wish I didn't have to speak this way. But it's what's happening in the church today. And these people say, wives, submit to your husbands. Which is a biblical truth. But then you see the abuse of this biblical truth. That's why I say it is also written. You shall have no other God before me. Because the husband becomes the idol to the wife. The husband becomes the idol to the wife. And husbands get away with murder. But who is the wife who will be a helper to her husband? Who is the wife who will be a helper to a husband? I think husbands are going to be in big trouble when we're standing before the Lord. Because, you know, standing before the Lord. Hey, what was this deal with pornography? What was this deal with cheating on your wife? When I gave you a helper. Oh, Lord, your Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the other helper, lowercase h, your wife. It's, it's almost like a double whammy. Almost like a double whammy. Double accountability. Oh, but you know, pornography, pornography. And these dumb pastors... These wolves in sheep's clothing, these hirelings, they say, oh, wife, your husband has a problem with pornography because look at yourself in the mirror. You need to go to the gym. You need to work out. You need to look a certain way. You know, you go to the grocery store, you see this magazine, you see this girl in the magazine. Here, you have to look like this. stupid pastors But you know what the sheepdog will say? Will say to the husband, "Hey, you need to repent. You need to repent. You need to pray unto your Lord. You need to read holy scripture and you need you need to fast. No eating. Fast and seek the Lord. You know what's so cool about fasting? You get hungry. (laughs) You say, well, that kind of defeats the purpose of fasting. Well, it's like, wait a sec. It's like you'll start to crave things differently. You ever talk to husbands? It's like, hey, you know what? I have a problem with pornography. Okay. You know, why are you telling me? You need to be telling your wife. Oh, she's going to kill me. I can't tell her. Well, That's kind of the idea. Oh, but my computer, it's a $5,000 computer. It's the gaming system, state of the art, all these things. I'm not going to get rid of it. I paid $5,000 for that. Your wife will have no problem picking that box up and throwing it in the trash. I've had these conversations with husbands before. Oh, yeah, and they whisper because they're ashamed of it. And it's like, wow, I'm glad you're ashamed of it. Because what does shame produce? Repentance. And it's such a trip because what happens in the church today, men get away with murder. Wife, you have to submit to me. You have to submit to me. And the wife becomes like a slave. Now, I have to say, too, when I say, you know, I'm not, you know, it is a biblical truth for a wife to submit to her husband. But if the husband is not submitting to Jesus Christ, it's a totally different ballgame. Because the husband doesn't submit to Jesus Christ and starts to do drugs and sex and pornography and alcohol and all kinds of things. And the wife submits to the husband. You know what's going to happen to the kids? But no, when the wife stays submitting to Jesus Christ, the new wine can pour and fill her up. That's what the Lord teaches us in Esther, the book of Esther, when there was no male leadership. No male leadership, except Esther still had a male covering by a fellow, another beautiful man, by the name of Mordecai. Always a male covering. What about the covering of Jesus Christ? To women. Christian women. So you talk to a guy, oh, I'm caught up in pornography. What do I do? Well, you need to repent, number one. You need to pray. You need to, oh, I don't like this counsel that you're giving me. I'm going to listen to this other pastor. His church is bigger. He tells me, he talks to my wife and says she has to work out. She has to look like this. She has to do her hair this way. She has to, you know, wear this makeup, put on her fake eyelashes and dress like this. Yeah, I'm going to go to that guy. Stupid. But when you start to fast, your cravings will start to change. You know, instead of thinking about a woman, you're going to think about a cheeseburger, you know. Your cravings will start to change. And you have a steady diet in the word. And the Lord is going to change your mind by renewing of your mind. Today, women submit to husbands with zero submission and zero commitment to the covenant and lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what happens today. And it pains me to utter these words because I'm speaking about the bride of Christ. The church. But what does the Lord teach us? If the blind follow the blind, both will fall into a ditch. That's what the Lord says. If the blind follow the blind, then both will fall into a ditch. What about a family where there's kids involved? Well, the kids will be right there in the ditch with you. Right there in the ditch with you have a responsibility to train up the next generation of righteousness. The next generation. To carry the torch, so to speak. Nobody lives forever in this world, on this side of eternity. You know, you're going to die. You're going to take your last breath on earth. And what's going to happen to the kids? Who's going to carry the torch? Remember Matthew 18, verse 6? Anyone who who, uh, uh, causes a little one who believes in me to stumble. The Lord teaches, it's better to take a big millstone, which is like, at minimum, a thousand pounds. Better to take a big millstone, tie a big rope around it, take the other end and tie it around your neck. And take that millstone and toss it into the sea. And the Lord says, it's better to do that. Than to cause a little one who believes in me to stumble. It's like, whoa, this is hardcore. A wife who submits to Jesus Christ honors the covenant unto him. And the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14... The husband, the non-believing husband, is sanctified, sanctified, and the children are clean before the Lord. You say, wow, you know, this hurts. Stop saying these words. Stop saying these words. This is what's happening in the church today. You go inside a home, and it's a mess. It pains me. It pains my wife when we see it. And you see it in the kids, and you talk to the kids. You know, Liz and I will go into a room. All the adults will be in one room. Liz and I will go into another room with the kids. And the kids start to open up. Man, Jay, Liz, I can't wait till I'm 18. I'm so out of here. I hate this stupid house. It's like, you know, I don't want to sow seeds of doubt, and neither does Liz. We're like, it's like, oh, let's pray, you know. Let's pray. But to tell this young generation, the next generation of righteousness, like stay with the Lord. Stay with the Lord. Because He is faithful. And it's so powerful because, you know, you see the the courage of these beautiful, beautiful women when everybody, they were all scaredy-cats. Men hiding, disciples of Jesus Christ in hiding. These big, tough Roman soldiers, they became like dead men. They were all passed out, these tough guys. And then you have these beautiful women. Eager. They were preparing the spices days before the aromatics to prepare, you know, for the the dead body. So instead of people smelling a dead body, a corpse, they could smell the aromatics in honoring of the Lord. And the angel appears to them. He's not here. He is risen, as he said. He says in verse 7, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. You know, a lot of women are, you know, they're... I don't know how to say this. But it's almost like... The potential of powerful ministries is hindered when women are enslaved, like what you see in the church today. Women who were slaves. Glorified nannies. Yeah, my wife is a good helper. She takes care of the kids. You could pay for that. Be single and pay for that. Oh, my wife's a good cook. I- I've had her food. You can hire a better cook. You know, oh, you know, my wife, she cleans good. Get a white glove. And get a black glove for the dust. Yeah. She's all right. You could pay for better. Oh, my wife's a good helper to me. She helps me in my walk with the Lord. When I get angry, she says, hey, we got to pray. When I get sad, she says, hey, you know what? Let me pray for you. I tell you the truth. That's one of my best with my wife when she knows that my heart is hurting and I'm in pain. You know, I'll stand there or I'll sit there in a chair and she stands right in front of me. I'll place my hand on her tummy or my head in her tummy. And then she puts her hands behind me and she prays for me. It's like, that's like the best. It's like, Lord, kill me now. Let me, like, strike me with lightning right now. It's like Cloud Nine a helper. And it's so beautiful. You know, it's so cool because, you know, you see the work of the Lord. That's why the Lord says, Look at the fruit. Where's the fruit? I'll tell you. I'll put that in other terms. Look under the hood. Look under the hood. And you see like, you know, take three cars. Every, all three cars that look identical. Same tires, same paint. You know, and the flag waves and it's like the green light goes and everybody starts to race. You see one car, he is on fire. He's flaming like just, you know, a million miles an hour. Another car, eh, a little bit, you know, not so fast. And one car is still there at the starting line. Because you look under the hood and there's no engine in there. But you close the hood and what do you see? Wow, this is a cool car. I bet you can go fast. And that's what I see in a lot of men today. They talk. A mean talk. They look tough, big, huge biceps. They look tough. But you open up the hood, and what do you see? You see the ground because nothing's there. Empty. No power. And then you look to the wife, and what do you see? A slave. You know, always has her head down. Oh, I got to do this. You know, I got to cook. I got to clean. You know, my husband might, you know, get into sexual sin. So it's sex on demand. Whenever my husband wants, it's like, boom, we get a phone call. It's like, you know, we're doing it. You know, I don't mean to sound graphic. I'm sorry for saying it that way. But this is the counsel that pastors give. Instead of saying, repent. You need to repent. Repent. You need to get rid of your dumb TV. Guys who say, oh, you know, I have a problem with pornography. Okay, tell me when you get home from work, what kind of shows do you watch? Oh, I watch this. I watch the, you know, the Dancing with the Stars and all these things. It's, I can't even watch the commercials for Dancing with the Stars. The ladies don't even have clothes on. It's like, no wonder you have a problem with pornography. Look at what you're subjecting your mind to. No wonder your kids are so messed up. Look at what you're subjecting their minds to, let alone what they're subjecting their own minds to. No wonder you have this problem. What movies are you watching? What websites are you visiting? No wonder you have a problem with pornography. And these dumb hirelings. They'll say, oh, wife, you need to go to the gym, you need to diet, you need to look like this so you can feed your husband's carnal nature. Instead of your husband repenting and reckoning the old man dead and the woman reckoning the old woman dead and saying, no, That's the old nature. I am alive in Christ. Instead of restoration, what do you have? You have a bunch of families in the car, the husband's in the driver's seat. You open the hood, and there's absolutely nothing there. And you have the wife who, by the counsel of these hirelings, is submitting to her husband. Instead of the wife saying, Hey, husband, sit in the passenger seat, I'm going to take the wheel. It's not saying, "Hey, get out of the car and you know, ditch the husband and the, the the kids." It's to say, "Hey, submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ." Paul writes about it in uh, in First uh, Corinthians chapter seven, verse fourteen. The husband is sanctified, and the children are clean before the Lord. But what do you see in homes today? You see a mess. A mess. It's crazy. It's beautiful beautiful women I wonder you know if 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 this were at a different time the events of what's happening here if this were at a different time if a pastor could look at a situation if a hireling could look at a situation and say oh you know what men, uh, women you, you, you shouldn't be here you know this is for the men only this is for the men but you see these beautiful women it's like they could care less yeah, I could get arrested. They might kill me like they did Jesus Christ. But who cares? I'm out of here. I don't even want to be here. Every single day, uh, every single day is a, a threat for the Christian. I don't even want to be here. You scaredy cat men. That's cool. That's your prerogative. And you see, it's like the women are like placed in a box. Even in the in the church today. Oh wife, you have to submit to your husband. Oh, but my husband, you know, he's he's doing all these things. You have to submit to your husband. It's like saying to the wife, you know, you can't it's like restricting the new wine. You know, a wife submits to her husband who is submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the new wine pours from the heavenly realm into her husband, fills his cup and pours into the wife, fills her cup and then pours into the beautiful, beautiful little ones. But then the husband leaves, steps aside from the new wine and these hirelings say, hey wife, you have to submit to that. Where does the new wine go? That's my question. Where does the new wine go? A husband can go as far away as he wants to. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. But a wife who stays submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and can receive the new wine in her new wineskin, not the old wineskin, and the kids are sanctified. The kids are clean before the Lord. And the husband still has, you know, an outstretched hand. You see, it's, it's written. But the hireling makes the husband the victim. The hireling blames it on the wife. And then you see these wives, you know, they look a certain way. They do their hair a certain way. They do their makeup a certain way. It's like they dress a certain way. They behave a certain way to feed the carnal nature of their carnal husband. And their little ones see this. Instead of a little girl striving for virtuous things, she strives for things of the world. You know, and it's such a trip because look at what's happening with this these Beautiful women here. Tough cookies. And so in verse 7, the angel of the Lord says, And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Four days prior, four days prior, Jesus Christ said the exact same thing in Matthew 26, verse 32. To, you know, go and, and, and wait for me in Galilee. These are things that the disciples, they start to remember. Oh, yeah, the Lord told us this. And this angel of the Lord is saying he is going before you into Galilee. It's another marker of angels of the Lord. Angels of the Lord don't twist his word. They do not twist the word of the Lord. People always say, oh, yeah, the Lord put it on my heart. What did he put on your heart? Oh, he put on my heart this and that and this and that. Okay? What you said about this, let's see what the Bible says. Okay? You're wrong. Okay? What else did he put on your heart? He put this on my heart. Okay? need The Bible. Okay? What they put on your heart is wrong. Based on this chapter and verse. Based on what we're studying here. You know what that means, brother? You know what that means, Sister? You've been listening to an angel of Satan who presented himself as an angel of the Lord, as an angel of light. You've been deceived. Repent. Ask the Lord for forgiveness and let him show you the way. Angels of the Lord do not twist his word. They themselves are in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is part and parcel of spiritual warfare, which we're going to study hardcore in the book of Acts. In verse 8, so they went out quickly to the tomb. These beautiful, tough, obedient women are obedient to the Lord. But yet they go out, it says here, with fear and great joy. I, I, I have to smile at that. Because, I mean, imagine how freaked out you'd be like, well, is this really happening But then like running at the same time, like, wow, this really is happening with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, rejoice. This is obedience rewarded. They see Jesus Christ. Here they are. Interacting with Jesus. And the Lord sees them rejoice. You know, in other passages in other Gospels, it's like there's a beautiful, beautiful conversation that happens there. It's very interesting who Jesus reveals himself to first these women. You know, the Lord reveals himself to the disciples, but he reveals himself first to these beautiful women. Their obedience is rewarded. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. I love this so much. Because imagine how... I don't know how to say it. Imagine how like... Uh, unpopular these women were. Number one, they believed in Jesus Christ. And they still believe in Jesus Christ. So there's that alone... But then number two, all the disciples are scaredy cats, the men, they're scaredy cats. You know, they're making their spices, their aromatics, and people walking by, like, what are you guys doing? We're, you know, we're preparing these spices for the tomb of our Lord. Oh, don't, don't, don't mention that, you know? The Romans might come and kill you just like they did to him. The priests, they might hear you, they might find out. Imagine how lonely this little group of women must have felt who cares who cares solitude with the lord it's like who cares who cares about the naysayers who cares when people spit at your face who cares when people call you idiot who cares you see the obedience of these beautiful women it's rewarded Jesus Christ reveals himself first to these women. And so they come. They came and held him by His feet, by the feet and worshipped him. Now they see that Jesus Christ is alive. They saw the tomb was empty. The angel tells them to go. And then on their way there, they see Jesus Christ. And they, now they see his, he's alive. And what do they do? They worship him. They worship him. Praise be to the Lord. See, that's what I mean when I say these beautiful, I mean no disrespect when I say these beautiful women. Because my wife, my bride, she might hear these words like, what is he talking about? I'm not talking about eyes of the flesh. Beauty, as defined by the word of the Lord. And you raise up the next generation of righteousness. You know, you have hormones that are going crazy in a young teenage girl, a young teenage boy. And if these this next generation of righteousness, if they've seen, you know, carnal things being held in high esteem by the husband, by the wife, by their mom and dad, you think they're going to, you know, what are they going to go after? Oh, I want a girlfriend, but she has to look like this. My dad says that that's a good thing. My mom even says that's a good thing. Oh, and the girl says, I need a boyfriend, but he has to look like this. He has to act like this. A lot of husbands, a lot of men, a lot of dads, they set the bar very, very, very low. Very low. So any guy will come to a girl and say, hey, you know, let's go out. And the girl will say, yes. The guy will say, Hey, will you marry me? The girl will say, Yes, because the dad has set the bar very low. Very, very low. And then they get married, they have kids, the husband's an idiot, and it's like, Well, you know, I'm sorry, but the bar was set low. Like, what do I do? Well, you're, you're not, you gotta stay married to him, you know, you're stuck. But this life's just a vapor. This life's just a vapor. There's always hope. There's always hope. Hey, let's pray for your husband. Let's pray for your husband. And you know what? I'm going to fast for your husband. I'm going to talk to your husband to Bring him to church. And it's such a trip because the Lord works. I'm not a therapist, you know? I'm not uh you know, I don't adhere to the teachings of Dr. Spock. I don't adhere to the teachings of uh, Sigmund Freud, perverted uh, therapist. I don't adhere to these methods of man. It's supernatural what the Lord can do. It's supernatural. It cannot be explained. The Lord can touch a heart, the Lord can touch a mind, the Lord can change lives. And He does. But who is the one who will humble themselves, who will humble their mind, humble their heart and receive Jesus Christ? Who? You go and receive the counsel of a hireling and the hireling tells a wife, hey, wife, yeah, you got to go to the gym. You got to work out. Oh, what's this? Your husband has a problem with pornography. It's because you let yourself go. Look at yourself. These are things that are taught in churches today. And what do you have perversion in the church? Perversion in the church. And it's like, I mean, people say, you know, these, uh, the, 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 the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, that was for that dispensation. They start to use all these big words. That was only for that dispensation. It's only for that time. But, you know, I look at the church today and then I read my Bible and I look at the church back then and it's like night and day, night and day. It's a different church. It's a church that doesn't have their TV, their movies, their Internet. You know, they don't have their social media. They're not looking at these stupid selfies. They're on fire for the Lord. And the Lord is on fire in them and through them. And when I say fire, I'm speaking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And you know, it's so cool because it's like, all these things are written. In verse 10, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. You know, I think this is so cool because the women, they have the fear of God, but not the fear of man. And the Lord tells them straight up, do not be afraid. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is beautiful. They're, 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 so, they're like not afraid of the Romans. They're not afraid of the chief priests. They're not afraid of the situation at hand. But yet, they're afraid before the Lord. It's a good place to be when you have the fear of the Lord. And the Lord tells them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And I think this is so powerful because before Jesus Christ tells the disciples to go and tell the people, this is what he says to the women. Go and tell my brethren. Precursory to the well-known Great Commission is a lesser-known Great Commission. To go and tell my brethren. Mm -hmm. To beautiful, tough, obedient, and faithful women. Remember, I gotta say, you know, this kind of reminds me of the great, great task of Moses. What the Lord had for Moses to do. What the Lord had for Moses to do. But then you look at the women in the life of Moses. Zipporah, another, another beautiful tough woman. Zipporah. Remember, God wanted to kill Moses. You think, like, oh, you know, because Moses broke the law. Well, he was in the act of breaking the law. Was like, okay, the Lord told me to go and you know go back to Egypt and rescue his people, so okay, I'm gonna go. You think like, okay, he's being obedient to the Lord. The law hasn't been given yet. So what do you mean he's breaking the law? Well, don't forget, there was a previous law given generations prior about the circumcision. And because Moses wasn't right with the Lord and going to continue on in this calling of the Lord, the Lord was like, I'm going to kill Moses. And Zipporah stepped in, circumcised their son and threw the foreskin at the ground. How she intervened for her husband. Not only that, but she was also a shepherd. I wonder where Moses learned how to shepherd. You see what I mean when I say a beautiful helper to her husband? Don't forget, Jacobed. The mother of Moses. Who risked risked death to disobey Pharaoh's commands. All the baby boys have to be killed. All the baby boys, all the males of, Egypt, of the Hebrew people, they have to be killed. That was the command of Pharaoh. And Jacobed disobeyed. She was disobedient to Egypt. And all that implies. Disobedient to Egypt and obedient to God. But it's not just Jacobed. Remember the midwives? Who ignored the command of Pharaoh. They ignored the command of Pharaoh. And the Lord protected them. Read the account in Exodus. The Lord protected them. The Lord gave them homes. A lot of women. Desired to be on the penthouse. Yeah, I want to be on the penthouse. I want to see these beautiful sceneries, the ocean breeze. I want to see it all. I want this beautiful scenery. I'll tell you a better place. The basement. The basement. Where in the basement, you're surrounded by all this rock. A lot of rock. Thick, thick, heavy stone. Which is foundational to the home foundational all these women such as zipporah in the life of moses zipporah jacobet the midwives who were very very foundational to the work that the lord was doing and a lot of women want to be oh i want to be high on the hog i want to be on the penthouse you know what's better to be in the basement to be foundational to something very beautiful that the lord is doing to be foundational. And it's such a trip because the same thing is happening to these beautiful women here in Matthew 28. Because before the well-known Great Commission is a lesser-known Great Commission where the Lord speaks to these beautiful women and says, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. You see how... The faithfulness of these women are foundational to the blowing up of the church. I'm speechless. Speechless. It's so beautiful. But no, you have these hirelings who say, wives, submit to your husbands. Your husband's on drugs? Submit to him. Your husband's doing his sexual things? Submit to him. Your husband's an alcoholic? Submit to him. No, submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Receive the new wine in your new wineskin. In that act of faithfulness, in that act of faithfulness, the husband is sanctified and the children are clean before the Lord. In that act of sacrifice. You see how beautiful this is. And in verse 11. Now, while they were going. You know, the women now, they're on this beautiful, beautiful, godly mission. Commissioned by the Lord. To go and tell the brethren. And Satan is fast at work. Look at what happens here. Now they, while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all the things that had happened. So you think, why are these Roman soldiers going to the priests? Why aren't they going to the centurion? The commander of the guard, or why aren't they going to Pilate? They go to the priests. In verse 12 says, When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together... They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. See, money. Jesus Christ makes purchases with his blood. He buys with his blood. Satan buys with money. Money, the love of money, is the root of all evil. Satan buys buys with money. Jesus buys with blood. Verse 13, saying, tell them. His disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. See, Satan is altering the truth for his own gain and advantage. And if this comes to the governor's ears, they're speaking about Pilate now. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make him make you secure. We will convince and persuade him and make you secure. Satan promises peace and safety I say promises in quotes because he's the father of lies he speaks lies because there is no truth in him you see the things that Satan does he buys with money he alters the truth and he makes these empty promises of peace and safety that's how the enemy works These lies from the pit of hell and people buy them hook, line and sinker. He's a fisherman, too. He's a fisherman, too. Don't forget. And what happens here in verse 15? So they took the money and did as they were instructed. They knew the truth of what had happened, what had transpired. Because remember, they saw the angel of the Lord. They saw the angel of the Lord. It says in verse four, the guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They know the account. But for peace, for safety, for money, they're complicit now. They're complicit. They traded the truth for a lie. And you say, what do you mean they traded truth for a lie? Read Romans 1. Read Romans 1. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Ruin. Ruin. Remember, wisdom cries from the rooftops. Wisdom cries from the rooftops. Who will heed the voice of wisdom from Holy Scripture? So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. So it's like, wow, you know, the women, they joined with the men and they told them, hey, Jesus is alive. We saw him. The account in other gospels is that some of the brothers, they go and they run to the tomb and they verify, well, you know what, it is empty, just as they said. And then Jesus Christ appears to them in their house. Other people Jesus Christ appeared to, you know, as they were walking on the road. And it explains truth to them, explain uh, uh, Holy Scripture to them. He says in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Some doubted. And how this translates is to mentally waver in opinion. And it, it reminds me a lot about the male psyche. How... Intellect and logic, how it can tend to cloud eyes to see and ears to hear. Intellect is a good servant, but it's a dangerous master. A good servant and a dangerous master. And we're going to see in the book of Acts some wild things. All due respect to the Lord. I don't mean wild in a... Carnal sense. I mean, wild, like, oh my goodness. A moving of the Holy Spirit throughout the land. But see, doubt sets in. This wavering of opinion, like, man, is this really happening? And that's what's so powerful about, you know, the body of Christ. Because in the book of Acts, we're going to see male, female, young, old, the Spirit of the Lord moving in the people godliness in the churches church homes you know jews who believe gentiles who believe gentiles who believe in the lord they honor the lord and the lord tells you know peter in a vision in a dream he says go and go to the household of cornelius give them the gospel give them the good news paul the ministry of paul I can't wait to get to the book of Acts and go through these things and study these things. I'm like excited. But look what happens here in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples, not converts. He doesn't say go and make converts. Converts is easy. Making a convert is a piece of cake. You turn the gospel of Jesus Christ into a mere sales pitch. Oh yeah, I have a hundred converts. I have a thousand converts. I have 10,000 converts. How did you do that? Well, you know, I said, you know, we're going to watch movies. We're going to play golf. We're going to do all these things. The women are going to come. We're going to knit. We're going to have all these, you know, sewing things and, you know, bake-offs and chili cooking and all these things. I'm not saying that fellowship of the saints in those manners are a bad thing. I'm not trying to paint those things in an ugly light. But central to everything in a fellowship, every corner of a fellowship is the word of Jesus Christ, the word of God, Holy Scripture. Central to all of it. And he says, go, therefore, and make disciples, disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them. To observe, this word is a military term. To be on watch, to be on guard, to keep and to apply. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. I think this is so powerful because it these people that he's calling, these beautiful men that he's calling, they're not hypocrites. They spent time with the Lord. They've applied his word. He's revealed himself to them. And now he's saying, hey, now I want you to go. He does it through them first. Or he does it in them first. And then he does a work through. You know, a lot of people. They want to be held in high esteem and say, yeah, you know, I'm involved in this ministry. You know, we do this. We do that. You know, this ministry, we go and work with the alcoholics and we help them out. Oh, we go and work with the sex addicts. We go and help them out. Oh, we go and work with the druggies and we help them out. And because Satan's a fisherman too, they get sucked back into this lifestyle. Sucked back into the lifestyle. It's like, whoa, wait a second. The Lord has to do the work inside of you first. And then he'll do the work through you. You say like, man, that's too hardcore. What are you, what are you talking about? It's too hardcore. I know it's hardcore. You know, the Lord in no way does he promise a rose garden. And it's so cool because remember how, you know, the Lord teaches us. When he says that when an evil spirit comes out of a man, he says in, in uh, chapter 12, verse 43, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. A steady diet of the Word of God, learning, maturing, matriculating, and being equipped. Being equipped. It's like, you know what? You're ready for a fight. You're ready for a fight. And it's so cool because that's what the Lord is doing here to these. Beautiful, 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 wonderful, faithful, obedient men. Men. He goes, he tells them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. All the Gospels, they end in these words, A-M-E-N, amen. These beautiful men of God. Remember, precursor to these beautiful men of God are these beautiful, wonderful women of God. How the Lord can use women as jumper cables to the men in a fellowship. How the Lord can use a wife as jumper cables unto her husband for his glory. And then you have hirelings who say, no, women, you have to stay in this box. You have to submit to the authority of your husband. You have to submit to the authority of, you know, a hireling. And these women receive the counsel. It's so sad. I'm not trying to, you know... I'm not trying to say, like, you know, wives don't submit to your husband. I'm not trying to come off like that. But to see a husband in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the wife in submission to her husband and also the submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's like, wow, you see, it's so beautiful. That's a family. That's a family of the church. The family of Jesus Christ. It's like, what what do you see today? You know, people say, hey, come over to our place. Let's have some dinner. You go over to their place and it's like, wow, well, you know, like your kids, so, you know, look how your daughter is dressing. Where does she learn that? You know, look at how your son is disrespectful. Where did he learn that? Why didn't your husband put him in place? And you see the husband, you talk to the husband, the husband's, you know, you know, cussing, all these things. And it's like you see these Men, you know, biological men. But I'll tell you what I see. Like little tiny boys. Little, little tiny boys trapped in an adult body. That's what's so powerful about the ministry of a wife. As a helper to her husband. Not a glorified nanny. Not a cook. Not a cleaner. You know, not sex on demand. Because you have a dumb husband who, if you don't, he's going to, you know, do his crazy stuff. Stupid. That's what you see in the church today. But you see a home in order. You know, in the book of Acts, you see these homes in order. People who make these decisions to adhere to Jesus Christ. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes in your life as a Christian. You're going to make mistakes. Don't gloss over them as a small thing. Repent. And say, Lord, I blew it. Forgive me. And the Lord will change you. He'll continue to change your mind by renewing of your minds. As you make a choice to reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. And put on Christ and be alive in Christ. So we're going to end our study here. And Lord...